Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 5, Episode 2. You've probably noticed by now that sometimes I provide answers, sometimes I provide thought-provoking questions, and sometimes, well, I'm still in the process of thinking through some challenging things. Well, this one falls squarely in the middle of that. You'll probably disagree with me in a few areas, and that's just fine. I'm not trying to win points here. This isn't about uh, you agreeing with me. You can feel free to do so if you want to, but I'm really more interested in letting you know the kinds of things I'm thinking about and how I'm thinking about them. Now, I admit there are times when I feel like I'm just starting to get things figured out. Well, years ago, I started wrestling with the idea of what does it mean to live a sustainable life? Now, excuse my use of a technical term, but in a consumerist culture, do I really need to buy all the crap they want to sell me? No, thank you very much. No, I do not. But see, it's easy to go too far off the other direction. Now, just for the record, I'm not a minimalist either. I've tried to sort out what this means for years, to figure out what it means to live a sustainable life, a Goldilocks life. Not too much, not too little, but just right. These are some of my musings on that idea. Sustainability. I suppose I should give you my working definition. This is nothing formal, but in a project like this, it's pretty easy to wind up with scope creep and a thousand other structural maladies. You'll soon see that. Here's my definition. Personal sustainability seeks to strike a balance between the resources I consume and the results that I produce. It also means, incidentally, reducing waste as much as possible. Now, let me give you this caveat. I do not consider myself to be an environmentalist. My job is not to protect the environment, but to steward the environment, to steward what God has entrusted to me. Sometimes that involves protecting the environment. Sometimes it involves using it, but it always involves tending it. I could talk about that for hours, but that's not what this podcast is about. So what does personal sustainability look like? Well, one of my favorite contemporary philosophers is a gentleman named Calvin Seerveld, and he coined the phrase, live glocally. That idea has been very helpful to me in a lot of aspects of my life. The idea is that, yes, we live in a global economy. We have things in our houses, in our offices, in fact, all around us that come from places that most of us will never visit. Sirvel doesn't argue with that. He reminds us, though, that no matter where our stuff comes from, no matter how global our job is, we still have to live our lives locally. That's the core of thinking locally. And that's a good thing to remember. See, I try to put some effort into supporting my local communities. For years, we've bought a lot of produce from the same families at the farmer's market. And I don't mean that in a theoretical sense. I mean, we actually track them down. In the summer months, most of our produce comes from the same few families. Now, we can't do that year-round, but during the growing season, they can count on us to buy from them. There's something satisfying about knowing the people who grow the food that we eat. Now, we can't always be consistent about it, but we found that it's worth the effort. 
And that's part of personal sustainability. We often buy a half of beef and have it put up and packaged by a butcher down the road about 30 miles. We know the farmer, we know the butcher, and we know that they care about doing their work well. You know, my folks had a similar approach when I was growing up, so I guess I come by it honestly. Dad always said that animals that were happy, content, and treated humanely, well, they even tasted better. I'm convinced that he was right. The cattle that make the commitment to join my dinner plate ought to live a good cow's life, if you know what I mean. But there's way more to this than good food choices. See, there's a local hardware store in the small town near our farm, and often that's where I go. The first couple of times I had to answer the usual questions, you know, the who are you, where do you come from, and why are you here? But after a few times, the conversation has become, well, more casual. I'm not an insider yet, but at least now they know I belong. You know, I find they have most everything that I need, and it might cost a few pennies more, but you know what? It's okay. We're neighbors. We go to both of the local restaurants, we visit the local coffee shop. It's not a chain, but it's fantastic, and we've joined the local food co-op. Now, this may not make sense to you, but we're doing the old-fashioned thing of putting down roots. I'm keeping my eyes open for opportunities to get involved and make the town a better place. Now, as I say that, I probably should say the town already is a better place with no help from me. I just mean that I want to do my part to keep it thriving. See, it's too easy for us to forget our local connections and think only globally. We shop online, it comes right to our door. We grumble about the people at City Hall, the county seat, the state capitol, Washington, D.C., but the people who have the greatest impact on our day-to-day -day life, our quality of life, are the people that we share our community with. Not to be sardonic, but government policies can't do community development. We might want them to, but it can't happen. Community development happens when people talk to each other, respect each other, do things together, and put in the effort to care for one another. A few years ago, I read a study that showed that the small towns across America that are thriving have one thing in common. They have some kind of a local art scene, whether that's theater, music, galleries, crafts, whatever. You don't have to think about that very long to figure out why. The arts bring people out. People get to know one another. There's something outside of themselves to draw them together. But more than that, it creates a sense of, well, civic pride when people come to the town to experience the arts that they have to offer. So what does this have to do with leadership? Well, there are a lot of people who are working to have their products or services known globally. And like Calvin Seerveld, I won't argue with that. But never forget that every single person who uses your product, your service, whatever, they live their whole life on the scale of a local community. When a business leader offshores a chunk of their manufacturing because labor is cheaper somewhere else, they've forgotten one of the principles of our economy. The people who get laid off are the ones who buy those products, either directly or indirectly. The economic travesty that is Minnesota's Iron Range, inner-city Detroit, the steel industry across the Rust Belt, pick your favorite hard-hit area. It takes productive work away, and it crushes a wide swath of our economy. But really, it crushes people. 
Now, I'm not proposing an America First policy. I'm proposing local community building wherever that local community happens to be. Do that for the long haul. You know, I've heard this story for years. I grew up in La Crosse, Wisconsin. It's always been a great town with good opportunities, and its independent thinking meant that it never saw itself as a suburb of anything. It stood on its own. Well, years ago, La Crosse boasted a beautiful neo-Gothic city hall building on a lovely town square. And at some point, the city fathers decided to raise it in order to make room for a new retail facility. Montgomery Ward needed a place to build. So down went the one-of-a-kind city hall. The retail space went up and the city square was paved over to provide parking. As a kid, I knew people who wouldn't shop at Montgomery Ward because of that whole situation. Well, now it's all gone, replaced by a blank square building with no warmth or personality. Hey, Monkey Ward, since you're done, can we have our city hall back now? Okay, I wasn't there. I had nothing invested in the game, one way or another. But it always seemed odd to me that big box thinking overpowered community concerns. And it created a lot of bitterness. See, leaders have to learn to live locally, learn to support the local community. Now, I will admit to having a little bit of a bias on this, but let me give you my perspective. If you plan on formally supporting community development, don't set up what I call a congratulatory foundation. If it points to you something's wrong, like the Sam Helgerson Foundation for making this place less of a dump, well, that's a bad move. So think of it this way. Know your community well enough to figure out what's already in place. What's already making a difference? It might be through a local community trust, the local food shelf, Chamber of Commerce, Business Owners Association, or the local Visitors Bureau. Support something that already exists. See, if you set up a foundation for your own pet project, it's entirely possible that you will miss the mark on what the community really needs or really wants. Supporting the already functioning development opportunities will let you be involved and offer support without trying to look like the hero. That takes a fair amount of humility, and it takes a commitment to what is already happening. Thinking locally means participating in the global economy while still helping the local economy to thrive. And in our age of hyper-personalized marketing and surveillance capitalism, let me suggest that kindness and genuine compassion is a compelling, contrarian business strategy. No matter where you lead and no matter the size of your enterprise, participate in the life of the community. That's where real economic health and development comes from. You know, I find that I have about a thousand things more to say about this, but I think I've given you a good starting point. We may have to revisit some of these ideas in a future episode. As always, if you're enjoying Great Ridge Station, tell your friends and colleagues about us and encourage them to subscribe to Great Ridge Station. Your comments and your likes are appreciated. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station.